Well, welcome to Graceway Baptist Church and welcome to our Sunday School lesson that we're going to present on October the 3rd of 2021. Boy, time is uh, really getting away from us here. There's not much time left in this year. So how's the year gone for you? Uh, sometimes we look back and think about the circumstances of the year, whether they were good or bad. Some of those things were in our control, but many of those things were out of our control. And uh, we have to kind of take everything all together as a package and plug it into Romans 8:28, don't we? That all things are working together for our good because we love God and we're the called according to his purpose. And the very next verse tells us how it's good because everything that happened this year and everything that is happening and everything that's going to happen is necessary for your sanctification, for you to be conformed to the image of Christ. So keep that in mind, and that's why we rejoice in the Lord always, even in the bad times, even when we don't feel like it, because it's all necessary, and it's all working together for our good to make us like Christ. And uh, we certainly are thankful for the good times, because they work in that way as well. So I hope that things are going well for you, and I pray that God blesses you as we move into fall, and um, I'm just praying that it'll start actually feeling and acting like fall. And then, uh, but especially into the holidays. And uh, I'm thankful that Sunday morning when we presented the program of plowing for uh, Sunday night church, so many people have responded positively and affirmatively to that. And uh, thankful to see the altar full of people as we dedicate ourselves to doing the work of the Lord. We've got to do that. Last week, uh, as we started the lesson, I'll talk to you about making sure that your class and your group, that we want it to be close, we want it to be tight-knit, but we also want it to be open and welcoming to people. And even the way you arrange your room uh, makes a difference, doesn't it? So if a visitor comes in and they're a little bit late, and uh, they don't have to walk into the front of the class or be stared at. I've done that before, and that's not any fun. And uh, we also want to make sure that we don't, you know, take people and just look at them like, you're kind of disrupting my clique and my group here. We want to talk to them. We want to be available to them. And uh, even to the point of maybe you've got some designated people in your class that would actually... Um, maybe move from where they are to set by the new people, uh, to get to know them, to make sure they know where the restrooms are, where the nursery is that they need to go by there and check on a kid, or how to get to the auditorium, or how to get back out to the parking lot. It can be confusing for some people, and um, all, all of that is extremely important. I also would like to uh, ask you as teachers, by the way, thank you for being a Sunday school teacher, uh, how much prayer do you put into your class? Uh, that's always kind of a guilt subject, I think, because all of us could do more. And when the Bible says pray without ceasing, you know, who's learned how to master that command yet? But we're growing and we're learning. And uh, we don't ever want to, as Paul Tripp uh, reminded us this past Sunday night, we don't ever want to get satisfied because there's more to learn and there's more ground to cover. There's more battles to win. There's more victory out there for us until we're taken to heaven. And so we ought to have a 
holy dissatisfaction about our lives. And so I want to encourage you as teachers, as you think about your class, pray for them during the week. And uh, not only that, but pray as you study your Sunday school lesson. Uh, while you're listening to this, you can pray and ask the Lord to let you hear everything that you need to hear, which from my perspective would be all of it. Um, but pray that you will be able to remember, pray that you will be able to communicate clearly. That's a difficult thing to do sometimes. There are those times you and I both know how this happens where we we uh, have all of this inside of our brain, but getting it to come out smoothly and clearly and persuasively, that's a whole different issue. Sometimes we stumble and stammer around and, um, you know, we kind of want to get Moses' brother Aaron to speak for us. And uh, we don't want to do that. We've been called to teach and uh, we're gifted and equipped. And so we want to do that for the glory of God. But a lot of that comes because we pray and we ask the Lord to give us insight. We ask the Lord to help us to make the application to our particular class. See, when I write these lessons and they're covering such a wide age span, you know, you've got people that are great grandparents studying the same thing that people who haven't even gotten married yet are studying. How do you apply it to everybody in between? And I finally reconciled myself to the fact that that's not really my job. That's the Holy Spirit's job, isn't it? So as you are studying this and praying about this, uh, think about it and pray that God will take it and make it relevant and plant it deep in the hearts of your people. And uh, really make sure that you are, to go back to our metaphor from Sunday, plowing some ground in prayer before you ever get to Sunday school. Pray for visitors. Pray that God would, first of all, send you guests, uh, that you don't have the opportunity to minister to any of them if they're not there. Pray that God would give you and your class members opportunities to invite people to Sunday school. Uh, if you're not intentional and you're not inviting people to come, I can almost guarantee you there's a, uh, not going to be any that are there. Contact absentees and pray for them because we want to get them back into the body and uh, for heaven's sake, don't, don't just meet them and say, well, where have you been? Uh, that's not very welcoming. That's kind of off-putting. And that puts people on the defensive. Um, maybe just ignore that and say, hey, we've missed you. We're glad that you're here. Come on in. Come over here and uh, sit with me during church. And, you know, whatever you need to do, just make it uh, the easiest and best experience to re-enter into Graceway that they have ever had. So uh, consider those things and think about them and put them into your week this week and the Lord will bless it. He blesses prayer. Uh, our catechism question is, how does the Holy Spirit help us? Now again, as I write these lessons and think about them, I'm talking to some people who could answer this in their sleep. They've been studying the Bible for 50 years or more, and they know all of this. But I'm also talking to, remember, some younger people who have never thought about this. We assume as older Christians, well, everybody knows this. Don't make that assumption. Not in this generation, not in this time. Not everybody does. Not everybody was raised like you were raised, older person. Not everybody grew up in church. Not everybody has read the Bible every year all the way through for the last 30 years. 
There are people who don't know this. But there are some people who do know it, but they haven't thought about it in a long, long time. It's good that we think about these things, isn't it? It's good that we reminisce and, and think about these things. Paul told Timothy to remember the things that he learned as a child, remember? Even the Lord's Supper, this do in remembrance of me. It's not like every time we take the Lord's Supper, which by the way, we're gonna do Sunday night, it's not like we go, oh, I didn't, I, I didn't know there was anything about the body or the blood of Christ. I've never heard that before. Of course we have. Jesus calls us to remember it, though, to remember it. There's something about stirring up the memory and being reminded of the basic things of the gospel and the Christian faith that benefits all of us. So let's do some thinking. If you're learning this for the first time, God bless you. And if you are learning this for the nine millionth time, God bless you. It's good to remember. Well, what's the answer that we get? It's a long one, long answer. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, confronts us, guides us, gives us spiritual gifts, and the desire to obey God. And he enables us to pray and to understand God's word. Wow, he's busy, isn't he? Because to get us to that place is tough. It's the Holy Spirit. Are you ever willing just to do what, maybe you're not doing everything God says and you know it and you feel bad about it, but you want to and you would love to get to that point. Where does that come from? Well, it doesn't come from the devil. It doesn't come from demons. It doesn't come from this world and it doesn't come from your flesh. It comes from the Holy Spirit of God working in you. What is it that uh, causes you to have your conscience to be bothered, and more than just a bothered conscience, that can happen in a lost person's life, but bringing you to the point to where you are sick of your sin, and you hate your sin, and you want to forsake your sin, who is it that brings you to that point? Well, that's the Holy Spirit. And you know, um, we could think about the idea that whenever I sin, I want to hold on to my sin. I don't want to have to confess my sin until I just absolutely have to confess it. Uh, who is it that keeps us from landing there? Who is it that causes us when we sin to want to run to Jesus, to want to run to the throne of grace and find mercy and help in our time of need? That's the Holy Spirit. Demons will try to do everything they can to keep you away from it. You're too bad. How dare you do that? You're a terrible Christian. You may not even be saved at all. But the Holy Spirit is the one that drives us to the Lord and he comforts us, comforts us, not only when we lose a loved one, that's certainly true, but he comforts us when other people persecute us. He comforts us whenever we fail and fall short of the glory of God and we're so burdened down over our sin, where do we find our comfort to carry on and not just be like a turtle and pull into our shell and quit? The Holy Spirit does that. That word actually uh, means to encourage. He's the one who guides us. Even when we don't know we need a guide, he's a spiritual GPS for us. And then think about how he has given us spiritual gifts. And many of you are doing things in teaching a Sunday school class and other things around the church that you never believed you'd be able to do, but you're doing them and you're doing them well. 
and you're doing that because of the Holy Spirit and the desire to obey. He's the one that makes you care about those things. He's the one that makes you long for more and to hunger and thirst for righteousness. He enables us to pray. He carries our prayer from us to the Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord Jesus carries our prayer to the Father. And he also is the one that gives us the ability to understand God's word. This is not just academic. This is spiritual. And spiritual things are not understood by people who are devoid of the Holy Spirit. But people with the Holy Spirit, those who are saved, they have the capacity to understand the Word of God. So he's very, very busy, isn't he? John 14, 16 and 17. Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And we looked at that passage even last week. But there are some things that um, we think about now that are just a little bit different than what we talked about last week. Because we're talking about how the Holy Spirit, how does he not just work in us, but how does he help us? Where is it that I am so inadequate and that you are so inadequate. Well, let's just put it this way. Basically, in everything, you always need the Holy Spirit to help you and to empower you. Let's talk about these ways. He helps us because, number one, He knows us and He prays for us. He knows us and prays for us. Now, there are some people that if they got to know you, they would never pray for you again. They would completely and totally reject you, and you would never hear from them again, no matter how hard you tried to pursue them, and you would be left wondering, what happened? What, what went wrong? Well, the problem is they got to know you a little too well, and they didn't like what they saw. But think about this. The Holy Spirit, He knows everything about you, your thoughts, your motives, your secret desires. He knows your past. He knows where you are now. And uh, he's with you in the future. I mean, he knows everything about you, and yet he doesn't leave. Now, there are times he's grieved. The Bible commands us not to grieve him. The Bible commands us not to quench him. Don't put out that holy fire that is burning in your heart. But think about this. Knowing you as well as he does, what does he do? He stays with you. He's patient with you. Now, he does convict you, and uh, the Holy Spirit will make you feel terrible sometimes, but he's doing that to draw you to Christ and to draw you back to grace. And the other thing that we mentioned in this first point, not only that he knows us, but he prays for us. He takes what he knows about you and what he knows about your future, what he knows about the devil, what he knows about temptation, and he takes that to the Lord Jesus, who of course takes it to the Father. Romans eight twenty seven, beautiful verse. And he who searches hearts knows what the mind of the knows the mind what is the mind of the spirit excuse me because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God now i do that too you probably do that too but i don't always do it with the perfect knowledge of the holy spirit because i don't always know what the will of God is and i don't always know what the real need of someone I'm praying for is. I don't even know that for myself sometimes. 
but the Holy Spirit does. And the Holy Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So here he is, this, this God, the third member of the Trinity, who is with us, knowing us, good, bad, the ugly, all of that. And he also knows what the will of God is. I mean, there's no fooling the Holy Spirit. Well, this is what God told me to do. And the Holy Spirit goes, okay, I'll go along with that. No, that God doesn't work that way. We find his will through the word and then we obey it. And the Holy Spirit is the one that uh, he has perfect knowledge of whether we're actually obeying God or not, or whether we're just pretending or whether we're faking it or whether we're covering it up or whether we're just doing it out of legalistic duty instead of heartfelt love. And he's not going to leave that alone, is he? Because he knows the will, plan, and purpose of the Father for us. And he prays for us accordingly. Where we fall short, he prays for us to have grace to be restored. When we do well, he prays for us that we wouldn't be lifted up in pride, that we wouldn't become satisfied with where we are, but we would hunger for more of the Lord. So he knows us and he prays for us. Number two, he sovereignly guides us. Interesting passage, Acts 16, 7. And when they had come up to Messiah, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. What? I thought the Holy Spirit wanted us to witness. I thought he wanted us to spread the gospel. But you have to remember he has a plan he has a plan. And because he knows you, he knows where you fit into that plan. Not everybody can go everywhere. Not everybody can talk to everybody on the earth, but we do have those places where we are called to go. And Paul and his team were, well, Bithynia was not one of their destinations. God wanted them to go to Macedonia. You've heard of the Macedonian call and read about that? Well, if they had been in Bithynia, they never would have heard the Macedonian call and so uh, the Holy Spirit closes and opens doors. That means opportunities. And so when a door closes in front of you, that's not something to get down in the dumps about. That's something to praise God for. God did that. God did that, not the devil. And so the Holy Spirit directs us from merely having good ideas. Was it a good idea to take the gospel into Bithynia? Of course it was. There was no sin in that. It just wasn't part of the plan. And sometimes we operate by good ideas, but not necessarily God's will. It was God's will for Paul to go to Macedonia. Macedonia. Think about this. David wanted to build a temple. Any sin in that? Absolutely not. Magnificent idea, except it wasn't God's will. Solomon was to be the temple builder. So what did David do? He didn't mope about it. He said, okay, I'll leave that to my son and I'll start gathering materials so that when Solomon builds a temple, it'll be much easier for him. You know, we can do that as well. There are times when we want to do something and it's a good idea, but it doesn't line up with the will of God for our life. So what do we do? Let's make it easier for other people to do that. Don't pout, don't mope. Nothing, no sin in wanting to build a temple but the sin would be if he built it anyway. But God stopped him. The Holy Spirit directs us and he can put on the brakes in a hurry or he can uh, prompt us to hit the gas, whatever his will is. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit helps us because he is the guarantee of our redemption. Ephesians chapter four, verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God 
That's a sin that probably hardly ever gets confessed and needs to be. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. What does it mean to be sealed? What does it mean to be sealed? Well, if you think about the old days, maybe you've seen it in an old movie or something like that. The king would have a letter, a proclamation, battle plan, something like that that he wanted to get out. He would write it out on some type of uh, paper and then he would fold it over couple of times. And then where that fold was, he would take some hot wax, maybe from a candle or some type of sealing wax, and he would pour that on there. And that wax would dry and harden and keep that letter from being opened. It was sealed, sealed. He also would take maybe his ring that had an insignia on it, or maybe his coat of arms or initials or something, press it down into that wax before it hardened, so that when anybody saw that, they knew that it was a letter from the king, had the king's insignia on it, and it was sealed by the king. That's kind of the picture that we have here. The moment you were saved, you were marked off and identified as the property of the king. You are a child of God. And think about just how magnificent the gospel is with the things that we think we know about it. Who in the world, if God had said, you're lost, you're on your way to hell, what would you like for me to do about it? Can you imagine this? Oh, Father, I think what the best thing would be for you to do is to send the second person of the Godhead, your only son, and put him on a cross and crush him and put all of my sins on him, bury him and let him defeat death and hell and the grave and take up his life again and then go and be ascended to the right hand of God the Father. And in the meantime, whenever I repent of my sins, put all of my sins on him and crush him and punish him for my sins and and give me his righteousness. And by the way, while you're at it, prepare a place for me in heaven as well. That's why the Bible says we couldn't come up with this And we would never have formed this in our mind. Nobody ever would have prayed anything quite like that. This is the work of God. And the work of God is for the Holy Spirit to bring the gospel to you. And he may have used a person that witnessed to you or a preacher or a gospel tract or a book or maybe on the internet or a radio or something like that. And he brought the gospel to you and then gave you the ability to understand it and to believe it and the faith to uh, receive Christ as Savior and Lord so that now you're a child of God. And at that moment, he indwelt you and made you spiritually alive. And then he also took, and just like the king with his ring and the wax, he sealed you. You were marked off. You now bear the insignia of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and uh, you belong to him and that can never be taken from you. There's also a picture of the Holy Spirit that kind of goes along with the ceiling that uh, he is like an engagement ring. When a young man gives a young woman an engagement ring, what is that ring? Uh, What is that for? It's a visible reminder of the promise of the potential groom or the future groom. He says, I'm not only asking you to marry me, but by giving you this ring, it is my tangible promise that I'm, uh, that I'm going to fulfill my proposal, an engagement ring. And the Holy Spirit 
is like an engagement ring given to the bride of Christ. Christ is not with us right now physically, so he has sent his spirit back to us kind of as an engagement ring telling us, I will do for you everything that I, has pro- that I have promised. It's like when you go to buy a house and you say, I like this house and they want uh, 200000 for it. And you say, I tell you what, for 180, you got a deal. And uh, so then they take it to the owners and the owners go, okay, we'll accept that offer. What do you do next? You put down earnest money. Earnest money means we're going to go through to get the financing and everything we have to do, but I'm promising you that I am going to get this done and I'm going to buy this house. Otherwise, you get to keep the uh, earnest money. Well, in a sense, none of these are perfect illustrations, but they help us understand the Holy Spirit is like God giving us earnest money saying, I promise you, I'm going to redeem you. I promise you that I'm going to sanctify you. I promise you that I'll never leave you or forsake you. I promise you that there is an eternity in heaven with me and um, I've prepared a place for you. This is what the Holy Spirit does. This is part of his comfort for us. Whenever the world Our world falls apart around us whenever the world betrays us, comes against us, persecutes us. The Holy Spirit within us is God's promise that there are better days to come, better days ahead, and that God has not forgotten us and that God is not going to leave us alone. He's going to do everything that he has promised to do. That's really a beautiful thing when you think about it. And as you go through the storms and the trials and the deserts and the difficulties of life. Number four, he teaches, strengthens, and gives motivation. Teaches, strengthens, and give motivation. You know, there are a lot of students that sit in class every day and somebody teaches them in terms of giving out the information anyway. And, um, but they don't have any any use for it and they don't care and they don't do anything with it. And then there are some people that are like I was when I was uh, in so many different schools and so many different curriculums. When we came back from Germany and I enrolled in as a freshman in Owasso High School, they looked at everything that I had and they said, oh, you've had Algebra 1. And I said, yeah. And so they put me in Algebra 2 as a 14-year-old freshman. Okay, there's only one problem. What they called Algebra 1 in the school I went to in Germany, an American high school there in Berlin, the uh, people at Owasso High School called Pre-Algebra. So I was put into a class where I could comprehend what was being said. And even when I watched the teacher work the problems on the, uh, date myself here at the blackboard, it kind of made sense, but I couldn't do it for myself. It was over my head. I felt the same way taking Greek and Hebrew, by the way. And um, there were just those times when he's like, I can't do this. I went to see my Greek professor and I said, I want to withdraw. And he said, why? And I said, I can't do this. This is over my head. And he made me a promise that if I would stick with it, do all of the work that he could guarantee that I at least wouldn't flunk. And um, I don't know, but all kind, kind of came together at the very end. It was difficult to stay in there. It felt like I was drowning, 
but I made like 130 points on the final exam. And so I got through it with a decent grade. It kind of came together at the last part. Well, there are some things in life that you are being taught, but you're not getting it because you're not quite ready for it. There are teenagers that sit and they may listen to a sermon that you go amen to and they go, what was the point of that? They don't really need it maybe right now at this point in their life, but they're going to. So we're sort of plowing the ground and getting it ready for when they really uh, need it later on. There may be some things you learn right now about dependence upon God, and you're going to really find out what that means by experience later on when you lose a spouse or something like that. There are some things that you were taught, but you need to be strengthened. You need to be matured. You need to be given the ability to grasp it, to get it, and to apply it to your life. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And then there are those times when even though you may have the information and you may even have the uh, ability to make application, but you just don't care. Uh, Who cares? Why should I bother with all of that? There's a lot of apathy in the church uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ today. Everywhere you go, there's apathy. In fact, there's always been a tendency toward apathy. As you read what Christ said to the seven churches in Revelation, that lukewarm church, that would describe apathy. We're comfortable. We're fine the way that we are. And even Charles Spurgeon wrote in his day that there's just apathy everywhere. It's a constant battle. The only way we overcome that is with the help of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 3, 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power. How am I going to get that? Through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend. That's what I took that thing about strengthening so you can get it. Strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length, height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, if I had a glove here, and I've done this in church before, and I put my hand in the glove, but I don't put my fingers in the fingers of the glove. My hand is in the glove, but the glove is not full of my hand. And Paul is talking about here, you have God, and you've got all of him you're ever going to get. There'll never be a time you'll have any less or any more. He's given you himself. But does he fill all of your life, like the fingers going into the, uh, the glove to fill it completely? That's what he's speaking of. So he talks about you being strengthened, and that means he's going to give you power and ability to understand, to comprehend, and to persevere, all of those things. And in the Greek, that is a passive verb. You don't strengthen yourself. This is what the Holy Spirit does. He strengthens you. He strengthens you. He gives it to you. And power is the word dunamis. Uh, When uh, dynamite was invented, they took it from this Greek word dunamis. And so it's the power, the inherent ability that God gives you. So if he calls you to teach, he's going to give you the ability to teach. If he calls you to give, he's going to give you the resources with which to give. And on and on we could go. And so it's uh, when, when it talks about Christ dwelling in us, how can Christ do that? Well, 
He does it through the Holy Spirit. Read John 14, 23. Jesus promises that he and the Father would make their home within us. How do they do that? It's through the Holy Spirit. That rooted and grounded, it's talking about stability. He doesn't want you just being tossed about by every wind and wave of doctrine, but rooted and grounded like a tree. Think about Psalm 1. And you will be able to comprehend the incomprehensible, that you may know what surpasses knowledge, he says. Think about that. This is your equipping the Word of God, 2 Timothy 3, 16. And the Bible is given by inspiration that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's what he does. And so this is an amazing and wonderful thing because going back to um, what Paul said back in Ephesians, he said that, um, let me get back here to it, just take a second that we could know, strengthen to comprehend with all the saints, breadth, length, height, and depth. Of what? Of the love of God is the context here. And think about the breadth, the width of the love of God. It's wide enough to take in anyone, anywhere, at any time. That's how wide it is. Thank the Lord for that. How long is it? Well, it goes all the way into eternity. He, he not only loves us now, but he's going to love us even through our eternity with him in heaven. It'll never end. How high is it? Well, it originated in the mind of God, not in our mind. And he's the one that brought, us, brought it to pass. And how deep does it go? All the way down to sinful earth and all the way down to the depths of our depravity. He reached down and he saved us, and he has done all of these wonderful things for us. That's why we need to know the Word of God and think. And this is why we are called to do great things for God. Things like Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach for me. Well, Jonah decided he could never do that. Well, that's because he was depending upon himself, wasn't he? Moses didn't think he could be a spokesman for God before Pharaoh because he was depending upon himself. And that always leads to failure. But it's the Holy Spirit that enables us to do these things. So therefore, it's God doing them through us. We're not doing them for God. He doesn't need anything. But He is doing it through us. And He is the source. He's the power. And He deserves all of the glory. And it also means that He'll never call us to do anything that He does not equip us to do. God doesn't call the equipped because none of us are fully equipped. He equips those that he calls. So this is uh, the work of the Holy Spirit. And it may uh, be that as you think about these things, it goes far deeper and, and reaches more into your life than you ever thought so. Yes, that's because he wants to control every part of your life, thoughts and motives and every step that you take, and everything that you do, he wants to control that so that you can glorify God in all things. Whether you eat or drink, the Bible says, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Well, you can't, and I can't, but it's the Holy Spirit that gives us that ability to do so. And you've got a great future in the Lord.
You've got a great future because the Holy Spirit is going to take you places you never thought you would go and empower you in ways you never thought you could be empowered. You're not left alone as an orphan. He loves you and he is always with you to do the will of God and he's praying for you. That's an amazing thing. So if you're watching this video because you want to catch up and keep up with the Sunday school classes, God bless you. I'm glad you're doing that. And if you're a teacher, thank you for listening. And may the Lord bless you as you communicate these things to your students for the building up of the church and for the glory of God. God bless you. Have a great week. And thank you so much for being a part of this lesson.